Amen. Today's message is to enter into death alive with Christ. And that sounds like a, an oxymoron right there. Enter into death alive in Christ? Well, we're going to talk about what that means. And the main point for today is to receive eternal life. I must die to self, obey my heavenly Father, and pursue a life worthy of the calling of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we need to receive eternal life. We have to die to ourselves, die to our own needs, die to our wants, and obey our heavenly Father, and then pursue a life worthy of the calling of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at a little bit of the opposites. Opposites, what do I mean? Well, last week I didn't really touch on verse 7 as much as I wanted to. We got to the end and I found out that I was going long, and I was like, well, I can just start with verse 7 today because it's really interesting because verse 7, I talked about the command, but not necessarily the promise so much. The command was, and anyone who hears, he has ears to hear, must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the church in a sense, listen and obey, right? Listen and obey. Uh, another good way is to say that is to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's a good, good hymn that goes along with that. But the promise is to everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Eternal life with God the Father. That is our goal as believers. In paradise, that is some of the bonus, right? Ever since the beginning of time, God has set out to restore man to his former glory by spending eternal life with God the Father, right? He is trying to get us back to him. First in paradise, then he's going to call us up to heaven, and then he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to find that throughout the story of Revelation. As we, as mankind, we started in the garden without sin. And God the Father will redeem us through his son, Jesus Christ, back to the state of perfection with him in a new heaven and a new earth. His whole goal since we fell in the garden is to restore us back to him. So to do this, many of us know the redemption story. But from God's point of view, it looks like this. God sent his son in the form of a servant to die a painful, gruesome death on the cross. Since he was a perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, through the power of God, raised him from the grave, and God placed him at his right hand. According to Romans 14, verses 11 and 12, it says, Every knee will bend to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance to Praise to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. And we know that to be a personal account to Jesus for in God's presence, right? Because he will be at the judgment seat in God's presence. For us to be in totally in God's presence, we have to go through that judgment period, right? Because all have sinned and fallen short of God's grace. And so if we are going to get to God, Jesus has to go through the cleansing process. If we're not willing to do that, then we face the second death. Okay, and that's what he talks about today in Smyrna. Jesus set the example for us to follow by dying to self. 
Why is this important? We see Christ's attitude laid out in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, and then following, I think, like 11-ish. And it lays out a great example of Christ's attitude. Why is this important? It's It's important to receive eternal life. I must die to self. I must obey my heavenly Father and pursue a life worthy of the calling of the Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Open your Bible with me, and let's look at the church in Smyrna. I always think that would be like a good mustard name, just by the way. I don't know why, but it just seems like a good name for mustard. You know, what are you going to get past me to Smyrna? I don't know. But we're going to find out what it really is and what it really means. So I did not know this until I studied this church. And then I was like, yeah, we're probably going to have seven different sermons on the seven different churches if I can get Smyrna to drag out that long. So verse 8, write this letter to the angel in the church in Smyrna. This is a message from the one who is first and last, who was dead, but is now alive. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know that the blasphemy of those who oppose you, they say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The duffel, the duffel, yeah, it's the devil's brother. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10, day, for 10 days, and if you remain faithful, even when faced with death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. That's why I brought it up earlier. The second death would be eternal life in hell. It's eternal death. It's constant. It is always going. It pretty much is not where I want to go. So I have a choice to make, don't I? I, have, I choose, by not following Christ, I choose to go to hell. That would be my choice. By choosing to follow Christ means I'm surrendering to him and his ways, and he promises me a reward. Do I know he is faithful to fulfill those promises? Yeah, I do. How do I know? Because I've seen it from the past. Well, how do you know the Bible's true? Well, that's a big discussion, but I pinpoint it down to Jesus. If Jesus really happened, if Jesus was really here on earth, if Jesus really is the Son of God, then we know the Bible to be true because he would have corrected his word when he came, wouldn't he have? He did not do that. He said he came to fulfill that word. Okay, so Christ gives us the strength to be faithful. That's your point number one today. What is the promise we receive if we are faithful according to verse 7? It's to eat of the tree of life. And according to verse 11, we don't face the second death. And to those who are victorious will not be harmed by the second death or eternal life in hell. Let's look at what we know of the church of Smyrna. And I like to look at the Bible first. Unfortunately, the only thing we have about the church of Smyrna is three verses in the book of Revelation. This is the first time it's ever been brought up. It's the only time it gets brought up. And so to get a few context clues, I went to see some historical things 
and things. I don't like to do that so much if I can avoid it because I like to take the Bible for what it's worth. But in this case, I found a huge clue. Do you know what Smyrna means? It means myrrh. You know what they use myrrh for? Burial and death. Because it's a bitter herb that preserves, but it has a very pleasant aroma. And I was like, wow. Would they get that point? When he, what he's saying here? Absolutely, they would get that point. That was like, whoa, uh, to me. It was really neat to see. So we don't know much about it, but we know they're about to physically suffer for a period of 10 days. And I don't think this is your average bear suffering. I think this would be suffering that would be going and slaughtering all the people in the house. And not only that, but sending them off to the Colosseum, things like that. Gruesome, painful, destructive suffering because they're Christians. And in the eternal scheme, this isn't too bad, 10 days of suffering. But in the physical world, could you imagine suffering for 10 days? This may be, you'd be crucified on the cross for 10 days because they could make you last that long. They could get you to eat so you would sustain your life and you could last that long, and that's just crazy. In the physical world, this is horrendous, yet they persevere. The church is, I would say, at its strongest when it's under persecution. I think we have our eyes set on the Lord the best. I see an example in King David when he's being chased around the desert by King Saul Right? He's not, David's not king yet, but he is about to be. He's been announced as king. King Saul's chasing him around the desert. You see some of the, David's best psalms in the times of persecution. You also see some of his worst times um, when he is in his palace and he stops going to war and things. He stops writing psalms. He commits adultery. He kills the the lady's husband, and very destructive. What? That's in the Bible? It is. It is very gruesome. It is very wrong. But then what's he do? He admits that he's wrong. He surrenders his life, forfeit to the Lord. And the Lord comes back and says, I will not take your kingdom and your life away from you, even though you've given it to me forfeit. But there's consequences for your actions. There will always be bloodshed in your family. There will always be uh, this um, animosity in your children and for the rest of your life. And that's what happens. And that's the kingdom that Jesus was born into. That was in his bloodstream, his human bloodstream, right? But praise God, his godly uh, spiritual self was able to defeat that. So how can we endure for so long? This is what we look at in the social history of Smyrna. Smyrna is named after the word myrrh. Like I said, it's a, it's a bitter to the taste, but gives off a sweet aroma. It was used to embalm the dead in the first century. Is the map on there, Danielle? If you look at where Smyrna is, Ephesus is down kind of out there in the sea, and then the next star right above it 
is Smyrna. It's a, it's a port city, and it, was, it would rival Ephesus and Pergamum in its uh, wealth and things. And so what we find in Smyrna are lots of idolatry. There's a lot of Greek and Roman gods at the time. They just conscripted the Caesar to allow them to put up, I want to say it was to his mom or mother-in-law, um, a big thing, um, idol in the middle of the city. So it's a wealthy city. It's full of pagan gods and idols. And so therefore, it is full of sin. Now, there is one time in the Bible that Jesus asked his disciples, who do they say that I am? And he is up in Galilee, and then he continues to walk up the river to where? What's the, what's the city right north of there? Do you guys remember? It's Caesarea Philippi right, which is Caesar Philip, which is Caesar's son. He names himself. He's maybe foreshadowing there. I don't know. But he goes to Caesarea Philippi. What do they worship in Caesarea Philippi? The God named Pan. And if you do some research on Pan, where, where do we see Pan in our culture? We don't have Pan in our culture, do we? Oh, Peter Pan is a type of Pan? Sure is, straight up, which really crushed me because that was my favorite uh, Disney character. And now I pretty much can't stand him. But maybe I have to grow up unlike Peter Pan, right? So what? who is the god Pan, a.k.a. Baal? It's maybe not straight up Baal, but it's one of the Baal somebody or others. And But it's Baal. They all originate from the same place. And who do we see Baal? It would be a type of Satan. Okay, it's satanic worship. So in this case, light and darkness, they cannot coexist. And so Jesus asks the disciples, who do they say they am? Peter declares him the Messiah, the Holy one of God. He takes them to one of the darkest places in Christendom and all the world and says, who do they say that I am? Why does he take them into a dark place to ask them about who's God? Because he wants them to see that light shines brighter in the darkness. They would have, without a reasonable doubt, Peter would know exactly that Jesus was God. He would recognize him as the Messiah because he's shining so brightly in contrast to what's going down below the mountain at their feet and all this pagan worship. So light shines brighter in darkness. And I believe Jesus chose one of the darkest places to ask the disciples this question because he would stand out much more and they could see the light. It is with, so it is with the believers in Smyrna. What tends to happen to people who have been burned by sin. What happens when people get burned by sin? They do one of two things generally. I'm sure there's more other things that you could do, but they generally do one of two things. Either they go deeper into the pleasure. That wasn't enough. I need more. That wasn't enough. 
uh, of the drug, I have to have a bigger hit next time. That wasn't enough sex, I need to have more sex. That wasn't enough power, I need to have more power next time. You see that in um, Alexander the Great. He gets done conquering the world and he cries. There's no other, other place to conquer. And he dies shortly after that. And it's interesting what we have found here. So in the Chip Ingram um, thing that we, the small group that we studied on Wednesday, he had a saying, it said, pleasure is a harsh taskmaster, but a wonderful tour guide. Pleasure is a harsh taskmaster, but a wonderful tour guide. To live for pleasure is not fulfilling. Okay? Think about this. But to experience it for a time is relaxing, like vacation. If you lived in paradise, like maybe Hawaii, all your life, you may not find it as a vacation. You might find it as work. You might find it monotonous. You might take it for granted and things. But if you were to visit Hawaii for two weeks out of the year, you would think it a wonderful paradise, a wonderful relaxing place, right? Because you've saved in the turmoil of life here so you can relax there. So what, do you, what are, are some of the perceptions that you have with Hawaii or on your vacation is that is a wonderful place because um, it just is. I'm able to relax. You associate those things with it. But if you were to live there, you would probably have to become, you would have to be employed there. You'd have to find work, and then you would get into the rut of your everyday routine. It may not be as satisfying. I just wanted to sit here, and I wanted to relax the whole time, and now I can't do that. Right? So it's a, it's a harsh taskmaster, but it's a wonderful place, a wonderful tour guide. Or they go deeper, they go deeper into it like that. So they get burned by sin, they, they, get, they try however, harder and heavier things. Or they look for something else, something different. They search for the truth and fulfillment. And we know they would find this in the gospel, Right? Because they accepted, this church accepted Jesus as true. What do they see all around them? They see pleasure seekers. They see people that are sacrificing things to gods so they can have what they, maybe their next um, crop will be great or their business will do well. The flowers will grow on the field so I can have something to harvest to take into the market. The fish will do great so I have plenty for in my nets. Right? There's all kinds of gods that they're sacrificing to and things. Or they're going to say, man, there's got to be something else. There's got to be something bigger than all these little gods out there. There's got to be a bigger thing. And then when one of the disciples of Jesus goes on their missionary journey and presents the gospel, they say, that's the truth. That's what I want. And that's what I need. And they die to self and they give off a fragrant 
aroma, right? They search for the truth, and we know they would find this in the gospel. Once they have it, they will not let it go for any amount of persecution. Even though they're receiving the bitter test of persecution, they're leaving a fragrant aroma of joy in the spirit around them. Even though they're dying and being beaten physically, their testimonies and prayers are a fragrant offering to the Lord. What a testimony. Now, I look at the seven churches, and I would say out of all the seven, this is the one that he doesn't give eternal consequences. He gives 10 days of persecution, and it's going to be a rough 10 days. Many of the churchgoers won't get through it, but in the grand scheme of things, it's probably in eternal scheme of things, it's not bad at all. And he's not saying anything against them. He's saying endure. You are going to have the time of your life. You are the poor in this town. You are the needy in this town, yet you are rich in spirit because you depend on me to get by on a daily basis through faith and my grace. So I don't necessarily look at them as a bad thing. Their testimony and prayers are a fragrant offering to the Lord. And to receive eternal life, I must die to self, obey my heavenly Father, and pursue a life worthy of the calling of the Holy Spirit. I really look at them similar to the man who was born blind and Jesus heals him that we just studied not too long ago. He's going to get kicked out of the synagogue if he doesn't listen to the powers that be, the establishment of the day. Or he can listen to Jesus, get kicked out of the synagogue, and have to make it on his own. Well, who's more willing to make it on their own than somebody that's been doing it for how many, all his life? He's been begging on the street. Yes, he can't beg anymore. He may have to learn to trade. He may have to learn how to do something to get by, but he's been doing it for Years. And so he recognizes the problem is not with Jesus. The problem is with the Pharisees, the scribes, and the teachers of the law. So the question is, how do I die to self? How do I die to self? Beth touched on it this morning um, very well. And I would define it like this. Inflow leads to overflow. So what you bring into your life is what's going to pour out of your life. What comes into your heart is what's going to pour out of your heart. And we all need to work on that. Even me. Especially me. The inflow of God's Word plus the Holy Spirit equals a bold witness, doesn't it? Do not dismiss the power of the Holy Spirit working with God's word. If you're saying, Shane, I have a hard time reading my Bible, I can't understand it, ask, and he will bring it onto you, and he will help you out. We do it with the boldness of the Holy Spirit. Those who are going to church and reading your Bible on occasion, is not, this is not going to change your world if you haven't allowed God into your daily life. Right? 
Is that easy to do? No, especially not at first. It's, it's a lie I think we really like to believe. We like to believe that if, I, if I'm bold for, for my faith, I'm going to be persecuted. I've read it in the Bible. Yeah, we will, maybe a little bit. But sometimes it's just testing you. Are you really going to be like that? Are you really going to stay up under pressure? And when we stand up under that pressure, you're going to find some of your very cynical friends that are pushing you on that are going to be the same friends that are asking you, okay, you stood up under the pressure. Now, this is what I want. I want to see how, what's different about you. What is different about you? You have to allow the Lord to get a hold of your spirit and transform you from the inside out. And when you do that, God is faithful and just, and he will not only forgive you of your sin, but he will give you a new heart, a new mind, and a new understanding. But I don't understand. Well, good, because the Lord said, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. But I don't know where I'm going. Trust and obey. Oh, man. It's like you've had a lot of doubters over the years, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm fear. Do not be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, which is where Beth touched on it this morning. Right? Isn't that exciting? If God is for us, who can be against us? I have that mentality going into school. I'm going to be faithful and just, not to pound it down their throat, but to live it out and say, well, this is what I believe, and we're going to ask good questions, right? Good questions are the great testimony tool. That's what we say a lot on Thursday nights. Ask good questions. So out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. If you, pour in, if, if you have been pouring into your life with God's word and prayer, and if you've been praying for a correct path, then the Lord will well out of you like living water. He will satisfy your thirst. And not only your thirst, he will make you, in a sense, attractive to somebody else that has that same thirst. This is what the world offers. Or this is what the Lord offers the world. He will satisfy our thirst. He will be the satisfaction for those around you who are in Christ as well. Can you tell when somebody's walking close with the Lord? I can. It's the joy of the Lord is their strength. They're ready to go. They're excited. They're, they have a contentment about them where the Lord has them, and you just want to be around them more. And sometimes... They shouldn't be like that at all, right? They're going through the roughest time ever, and they are just joyful. My, my best example for that is a man called Jim Twidell. He was, al- he was always saying, well, how, how are you doing today, Jim? Oh, better than I deserve. 
And that just rubbed me the wrong way because me being the self-righteous self that I am, I, I didn't think I needed anything but the best. And he taught me a big lesson there. And Jim came down with stage four, stage five-ish cancer, given weeks and suffered for months with the joy of the Lord. Never seen somebody suffer cancer with so much joy and gave God the praise, gave God the glory. And it went into remission for a little while, gave God the praise for that. It came back. He gave God the praise because he, has, he knew where he was going to go when he passed away. Beautiful family, and they lost their dad too soon when he passed away. But he never lost his joy. He always had it, always. was always a very joyful person. And he would definitely be one of the guys that would say, the Lord took one of the good ones. But he set an example for some of the bad ones, right? Some of us guys that are still here, this is how you live. I reflect Christ like this. You can reflect Christ like that as well. Don't give up. So inflow leads to overflow. Number two, we continue to, cor- to correct our view of God. What? I have a pretty, pretty good view of God. What do you mean, pastor? Well, to say your view of God is all-encompassing is just not true. God is so much bigger than we are We only get the glimpse of him. When Moses got to see God, he got to see the back and kind of the reflection of God, and it almost killed him. So if we were to see the face of God, it would kill us instantly. And so to say you know who God is is you know some of who God is. God is always getting bigger in my mind. He's always getting, making me say, wow, how much bigger he is than me and how much smaller I am than, than he. So as we grow in our wisdom and our understanding of the Lord, he continues to grow bigger and stronger. Then we realize that he only revealed a little bit of himself. The church in Smyrna has big problems, don't they? And they're coming fast. We have 10 days. We got to get, we got to endure for 10 days. How are we going to do this? We were not prepared for this. We need to trust and obey, to hold true to the faith. And they needed a big God for their solution. By his grace, he has revealed to them a correct version of himself to cling to so they can persevere in the suffering. What would be an incorrect view of God? God, I want this. God, I want this. You provide these things, and I want it. That's an incorrect view of God. God, I need your protection. God, I need to remain faithful in the persecution. God, I don't know where my meal is coming from tomorrow. Allow me to remain faithful to you in the suffering of the starvation. That's a prayer and a half right there. You know, most of the persecuted church, yes, they want their, our support. 
financially. Yes, they want our support in their needs and to care about them. But you know what they ask for? Pray that we remain faithful. Pray that we will endure in the suffering. What does James write about? What does Paul write about? What does Jesus even say? They talk about remaining faithful. They don't necessarily say, Lord, give them bread. Yes, Jesus says we need to ask for our daily bread, doesn't he? So there is a facet of that. but Sometimes bread doesn't come. In great trials, you have two choices. Either abandon God because he doesn't give you your wants or expand your view of God because he is giving you everything you need. I believe the church of Smyrna had the faith to endure because they put God first, they put God last, and they put God everywhere in between, so therefore God became singular. They didn't have anything else. When you have nothing, the only thing you have is God. That is deep faith. You don't know where your meal's coming tomorrow. You have God. I'm going to pray to God for my meal tomorrow. And God, through Jesus, says, don't worry about your meal tomorrow. Doesn't he? But God, I need to eat. That, that would be very hard for me. I'm a very regular eater. <laughs> I, I think about that. Like Sometimes I'll eat breakfast and I'm not even hungry. I just do it out of habit. And that's, that's not right. It is. It is like a clock. So only they can have suffering, but have it in, put in perspective that only God is big enough to handle what you are going through. If, you're, if you ever talk to someone with great faith as they face cancer, death, or loss, you'll know this. And you'll say, I don't know how you're going through this. Or maybe you'll offer your sympathy. And like my friend Jim would say, nine times of the say, it's not I, but Christ. When you have nothing, when you've died to self, you've died to your earthly possessions, you've died to what you have on this world, you give off a fragrant offering you have the opportunity to be a witness stronger and more powerful than you could ever imagine. And you're not even a Jedi master. <laughs> right? But that's where they get that concept from. Likewise, when we are going through good times and are being asked, man, you got it so good. You got it so good. Are you all, why are you always blessed? Then the answer's not, I don't know. The answer's not, well, you know, I did put in a lot of hard work. It's by the grace of God that I've received these things. God's grace is first, it's last, and it's singular. It's everywhere in between. If you can give God the suffering, then you've got to give him the good things. If you can give God the good things, you've got to give him the suffering. We've talked about that through the book of John. The same author, he hasn't lost the theme. Right? The answer is not I, but Christ. He reigns in us. He, 
the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, right? Meaning good, good people and wicked people both get blessings and curses. It's how you deal with the blessings and curses. Do you allow it to filter through God first and then go? The inflow to God first, outflow to others, right? If you get... If he gets the pain, then he gets the glory as well. We are nothing without Jesus Christ. The third application is a warning. Trust our ability to control sin. We like to trust our own ability to control sin. And that's dangerous, isn't it? I got this. I can handle this. This is nothing. I got this. I know where to stop. I know where to, how hard I can rib. No, I don't. <laughs> And he cuts the anchor, right? He cuts the tether, and I just go, and he goes, see you, Shane. And I just keep on ribbing, right? And what happens? Broken relationships. And I know how far I can go before I cross the line, right? I know how far I can tease. I know how far I can um, take this pleasure right up to. I know how far I can look on the internet before it becomes trouble. I know how far I can take politics before I start becoming, oh, and then God just says, do you? Because that is not dying to self. That is not giving it over to the Lord. And that is dangerous because the Lord will let you, okay, you, you think you got it? Go ahead. Go ahead and see how this works out for you. How's it going to work out for you? When I cut the tether line and you're out there all by yourself because you can handle it, you know what you're doing. And what do we say? I'll say, okay, Lord, I'm the captain of my own ship and I'm the master of my own domain and I can handle this. That's the wickedest thing you could say to the Lord. That's a sin of pride. And God says that's equal with the sin of divination because they're both saying, I don't need you, Lord. I can do this by myself. That is dangerous. About that time we say that, he gives us away. And if we keep going down that rabbit hole, where's it going to lead? It's going to lead us straight to hell, isn't it? And that's that's scary. Scary because I can see me doing that. You can even do that from the pulpit. You can you could just take a whole congregation with you. That's why God says, Hey, to be a leader of the church, to be a teacher, you desire um, something that's got a lot of weight. You better set the example in humility. You better set the example in joy. You better set the example in giving me the glory, giving me the pain, right? Praise God that he has bigger shoulders than I do. So we all be in trouble, <laughs> depending on me, right? Amen. It's okay, you can amen that one. I'll, I'll even amen that one. So, it's funny though. A leopard can't change his spots, can he? You can't just declare that, say, hey, today I'm a lion. I'm just going to be a lion. I'm going to take these spots off of me, and that's who I am. Right? We can't do that. We are who we are. God designed us to be who he designed us to be. And when we struggle with that sin, we're probably going to struggle it for a, we're going to struggle with it for a lifetime, aren't we? 
And so we have to surrender to him on a daily basis. We don't need a bath every time. Sometimes we just need to clean our hands and feet. That's what Jesus says to the disciples when he cleans his feet, specifically Peter. We talked about that Thursday. And positive thinking is not going to get you there. Be like, I can do this. If I just get up this morning, I got this. No, you don't. God's got this. Discipline. Well, if I set this on my phone and I have a schedule, I can get through the day and I won't stray away. No, you can't. You can do it for a time, but you cannot do it on a consistent basis. It doesn't happen. How do I know? I know because I've tried. It doesn't work. The right information. Well, if I just, if I interpret this Bible scripture better and apply it to my life better, I can do it. No, you can't because you just put yourself in the middle even though you tried to scripturize and make it all spiritual. It doesn't work that way. You surrender it and say, God, I can't do this. I cannot do this. I need your help to get this. I'm an evil man. And an evil man can't do good unless there's an external source that they're coming from. Right? Which is Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. When he comes in and changes our heart, then we read the Bible and we say, I need to put this into practice. Lord, I surrender this to you so I can look, look more like you. Do you see how it comes through the path like that? God has to come first. And that's what I got out of this passage more. Not only that did they die, they're, they're, it's a burial thing, but death is celebrated because they understood that concept. They understood that they had to die to self so that Christ could reign. And the only way they were going to get life in eternal life and life in a physical life is if they died to self and allowed God to lay out their plan for them. They gave him their plans. You can have my plans. You can have my positive thoughts. You can have my negative thoughts. You can have all the pleasures of this world. You can have all the pain of this world. Just give me Jesus. Right? Can you understand where that song's coming from this morning? Give me Jesus in everything because none of it matters. You can have all this world, the good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) Give me Jesus. Transformation has to come from the outside of a man. For an evil man to do good, he must be transformed by the Holy Spirit. He is the one who gives us a heart, a good heart, and new desires. He is our anchor. He is our rock that we build on. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, and the first part of verse 13. 1 Timothy 1, 12, and 13. It says, I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me the strength to do his work. Okay? So I thank Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has given me the strength to do his work. He considered me trustworthy and appointed me to serve him, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ. This is Paul talking. I persecuted the church. I was the one that said, you are nothing, and if you are something, then Jesus would save you. 
Well, who did he save? He saved them in death, and he saved Paul by confronting him on the road to Emmaus. And he turned his life around, therefore saving the rest of the church. Not only saving the church, but expanding the church through a guy who persecuted him very, very harshly. Even Paul, everything that Paul did was for the Lord. He thought he was destroying this new sect that was destroying Christianity or Judaism, Jesus Christ wasn't real. He didn't have any power. He didn't have an authority. And then Jesus got a hold of him and said, yes, I do. And if you don't surrender to me, you're in big trouble. And Paul recognizes it right away. And he changes his life in an instant. He becomes one that was persecuting the church with passion to a guy that was growing the church with passion, all for God. He did both of those things for God, but the second one, he put God first. And when God was first, when he recognized the true God, then he walked into goodness. He didn't do good to be saved. He was saved to do good. Big difference there. Big difference. When we go to Jesus, when Jesus, when Jesus got a hold of, of Paul's heart, he was able to endure the hardest persecutions. Here's some of the few that we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. Five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rod. Once I was stoned. Three times I was ship, shipwrecked. And once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. For the Lord. And I have a hard time waking up reading my Bible for the Lord in the morning. A little convicting there, isn't it? Because when we start reading our Bible, we start seeing that the Lord has something different for our lives. And when we do that, it expresses, it overflows into our life. And we start becoming a little bit more bold for the Lord. When we become bored, more, more bold for the Lord, he puts us in circumstances that require more faith out of us. And when he requires more faith out of us, that's the next step. That's our growth. And that's how we grow. When we grow in that, God does amazing things if we allow him to lead. Sometimes even when we take on our own, he still grows. But we don't. And that's a whole other sermon itself. Paul never gave up. Likewise, the church in Smyrna, they never gave up. What about us here, church? Do you have faith like that? Do we have faith like that? Are you able to define your life with Christ first in the suffering and in the joy? We need to examine ourselves and truly look to see where, we're, where our foundation lies. Is it our own abilities? Is it our own talents? Or is it in Christ? Because if, if the heat's turned up, are you going to get out of the kitchen? Or are you going to face it head on with the sacrifice it requires? Suffering this world is nothing compared to the suffering that is in hell. And I implore you to get Christ in his proper place in the foundation of your life. 
to receive eternal life, I must die to self, obey my Heavenly Father, and pursue a life worthy of the calling. That's something that you want to do. It sounds like this. Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life today and show me by your word and spirit how to live with you at the helm. That's what it takes. That's surrendering to God. Put a stake in the ground today and say, today, this is the day that I chose to put God first. It's a good prayer to do on a regular basis anyway when it comes to repentance. I'm going to close in prayer. Prayer is going to be Psalm 118. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat. Let all white rose repeat. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat. His faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat. His faithful love endures forever. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. Who can mere people, what can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look and triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in princes. Though hostile nations, nations surround me, I, I am destroyed. I destroy them all with the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surround me and attack me, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees. They buzzed against me like a crackling fire. They blazed against me like a crackling fire, and I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camps of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done great, gracious things. The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. The gates lead the presence of the Lord. The godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stone that the builder has rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and is wonderful to see. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind it with the cords on the altar. You are my God. I will praise you. You are my God. I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. I love that psalm because it points to the Lord. Puts him first, it puts him last, it puts him in the thanks, it puts him in the praise, it puts him in the suffering, it puts him in the in the in the victories. God gets the glory. We need to get the glory as well. Give him the glory as well. I ask this morning that you would go with God in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.